morning. Oh, that was better than the first service. Everybody feeling fresh this morning after they've lost an hour of sleep? Yeah, I struggled. My alarm did not go off this morning, and uh, that created a great day right off the bat for me. <laughs> so, uh, if you guys are a little tired this morning, I've got a basket of baseballs up here that if I see you sleeping, I'm just going to hurl one at you. <laughs> so, no, thank you guys for coming this morning. I really do appreciate you guys coming out. And uh, if you're new here and you don't know who I am, my name is Daniel. I work with the students uh, here at the Ridge. So i like to take this opportunity to uh, invite students. If you are uh, in the 6th to 12th grade and you don't really have a place to hang out, come here on Wednesday nights. We've got a place for you. We have, we have food, usually Taco Bell. Uh, yeah, I get made fun of that because that's my go-to. Uh, uh, we have talk, we, we have food, we have games, um, and we have we talk about Jesus, and that's just like, what more can you ask, right? So if you have a student or you are a student and you're like, hey, well, I'd like to try that out, come out. We love to have you six to seven thirty. Um, we just have a good time. So, uh, but yeah. Thank you guys for coming this morning. We are in the book of John yet again. Uh, feel like we've been there for the past six years. <laughs> no, we've been there for the, for the past year, I guess, or so, and uh, we've taken time on or on and off, and, and uh, we're back in it again this week. Uh, Bobby started it back up last week in verse seven, and uh, or chapter seven. This week we're going to be in chapter eight. Uh, we're going to talking about. A certain situation, a certain um, thing that happened. And looking back in John, we see different things that happened in his life, uh, different miracles um, that, that Jesus uh, did and different things that just took place. And uh, throughout John, we see that Jesus had a lot of conversations with different individuals, and some being the religious elite and some being just different people just here and there. And a lot of times there was some confrontational issues that would rise up and we would see a lot of pushback and in this text we're going to read today there's going to be like a, a trap set there's going to be some pushback and as we get farther in John what's going to unite chapters 5 through verse 12 I know we're in 8 is that there's always an issue and Jesus is always pushing the buttons of someone and they're always pushing back uh, and it usually is a confrontation uh, or an issue that comes secondary to a, a bigger teaching. A bigger teaching comes out of that confrontation. So this morning, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 8. Um, you can, If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't, you can go to the YouVersion app. I feel like I always mess this up. But you go to the YouVersion app, click on Events, go to the Ridge. I think my notes will be there. I think I've got that in the correct order. Is that good? Oh, I got a thumbs up, so we're there. So if you don't have a Bible and you have your phone, please go there. You can follow along. If you don't have either one of those, uh, the, the notes and scriptures should be on the screen behind me. So we are going to be in chapter 8. Before I begin, I want to pray, uh, and I want you guys to pray for me because this is a little out, out of my comfort zone. Um, I'm used to spending my time speaking in front of teenagers. I feel more comfortable. Uh I feel like I need to have a game to kind of <laughs> set it up with some Taco Bell and some games, you know. 
uh, that make me feel a bit more comfortable. But uh, pray for me. I, I, I get I get a little nervous every time I do this, and I'm, I'm getting a little bit more comfortable. Uh, so just pray for me that God uses me this morning, and I'll pray for you guys as well. So let's pray. God, thank you for just a beautiful day. Thank you for the sunshine that you gave us. Thank you for that uh, that you we just have an opportunity to come out and just freely worship you. And God, I pray for each and every one of these people in this audience, Lord. I pray that you speak to their lives. Help me just speak the words that are from you and not just from myself. God, just be with us as we take a journey through John 8. In your name I pray, amen. So I want to ask you a few questions before we get into this text this morning. And I want you guys to ponder on these things as as we go through this today. And I don't want you to answer them aloud. Just kind of think about them. Just reflect on them. And the first one is going to be, what is the biggest mistake of your life? What's the biggest mistake that you've ever done? What's the worst thing that you've ever done in your life? That's number two. What's the worst thing? And if you were given one do-over or one mulligan in life, what would you go back and redo? Why don't you just kind of think of those things and ponder on those things as we journey through John 8. And before we start in chapter 8, I want to read a few verses in chapter 7 to kind of set up some context to what's going on in our story. And in chapter 7, it ends with Jesus having numerous conversations, and the religious elite, uh, they're kind of fed up, and they're just kind of frustrated, and they're ready just to kind of put an end to all this. And the religious leaders, they're going to send out these temple guards to, to arrest Jesus. And while they're gone, these religious leaders are in a room, and they're waiting for him. And they're waiting for the, the temple guards to bring Jesus back. And we're going to start reading in, in John seven forty five, And it says, The officers then came to the, chief priest, to, came to the chief priest, who said to them, Why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. So these temple guards went out to arrest Jesus, but here's the reality of it, is Jesus got these guards they went to go get jesus but jesus got the guards there's like his teachings his miracles there's just something about this man something different nobody preaches like him in verse 47 the pharisees answered to them have you also been deceived have any of these authorities or the pharisees believed in him but this crowd that does not know the law is accursed so religious leaders looked at him and they're like hey do any of us believe in that stuff what gives you the right not to arrest him and, and they're frustrated. And here's the dilemma with the Pharisees. It, all the issues and confrontations that they had, the conversation they had with Jesus, is, is not that he is contradicting the Old Testament Scriptures. It's that he's contradicting their understanding and interpretation of the Old Testament Scriptures. So things come up like the Sabbath. And they say, oh, Jesus, you're wrong for healing a man on the Sabbath. That's just wrong. And they're like, well, this, that's just not right. And he brings up the point, some inconsistencies to their 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 stuff and he brings out the points like all right well you say it's okay you say it's not all right for me to heal a man on the sabbath but it's okay for you to rescue an animal and you're saying animals are more important than humans and you see the crowds that gather around when they hear this they they like scratching their head like you know what that does make sense why can't he heal on the sabbath i don't understand that and, and the Pharisees are always walking back and they're pulling their hair out. They're frustrated because they never can trick or trap Jesus. And the Pharisees would meet night after night and they would try to figure out what they could do at Jesus. 
and they, if you can imagine, I have a weird imagination. I like to think of, you know, just imagine different things. But if you can imagine them, uh, they're saying they're like, "How are right, we got to come come at Jesus with something that every one of the people that are with him, all the crowds would know something that is wrong. They would know that it's wrong, and something so obvious that if he were to contradict it, that it would completely ruin his reputation and his ministry." So they're like, well, what could we figure, what could we come at him with? And then they figure it out. They, they feel like they have it figured out. And I'm sure they did what you and I would do as you're trying to set somebody up or trick or trap somebody. You play these things and these scenarios out in your mind. You're like, okay, if they say this, we've got this. There's no way he's going to get around this. If, if he does this, I'm going to do this. And they're like, all right, this is, is going to be the perfect scenario. He's, we're going to catch him. And all they need is just him and a crowd of people. And they're ready. And that's where we're going to get into our text today. We're going to get into John 7, chapter 7, verse 53. Then we're going to jump into the 8. It says, They went each to his own house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. So early that morning, Jesus comes back to the temple, and he's sitting down, and he's starting to teach. And as he begins to teach, these crowds of people begin to gather around him. And I could just imagine, I mean, you have the Son of God teaching. I mean, it's going to draw a crowd. I could just imagine that the crowds are getting bigger. And as the crowds get bigger, maybe there's a Pharisee over in the corner, and he's waiting for the crowd to get so big. And maybe he gives a little baseball signal. I don't know. Like, you know, I don't know what he does. But he gives a little signal, and when he does that, the scene unfolds before their very eyes verse 3 the scribes and the pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst they say to him teacher this woman has been caught in the act of adultery so they bring this woman in and she is caught in the act of adultery it's not we think she's been it's not he said she said she has been caught and when i read this i kind of start to think about this and it kind of raises a question uh, okay, if she was caught in the act, well, where's the he? And to me, that's one of those sins that requires two people, right? So, I mean, where's the he at in all this? So, but think about this woman. Okay, she's been caught. She's brought in. And this woman's got a real problem on her hands. But according to, according to what should happen to her in the Old Testament, she's got a real big issue on her hands. And here's, here's the thing. The Pharisees know what's supposed to happen to her. Jesus knows, and the crowd knows. So we go into verse 5. It says, now in, the law of Moses, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? You could, could you imagine these Pharisees? They come at Jesus. Hey, listen, we're supposed to stone this woman. What do you say, Jesus? You know, I could, maybe they're a little arrogant. I feel like they're a little arrogant here. It was the perfect catch-22, because here's the basis of what's going on. If Jesus says, no, 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 don't do that, no, I, we should not stone her. Let's give her grace. And if he says that and contradicts what Moses says, after Moses spoke the words of God and wrote it down in Genesis through Deuteronomy, if he contradicts that, then the crowd will go, that can't be a prophet. There's no way. Because if he's a prophet and contradicts Mo what Moses said, then he's no prophet at all. And he says, let her live, then guess what? He loses his credibility, and he no longer has his public ministry. So if he does that, then he's done. 
But on the flip side of that, if he says, yeah, let's just do it. That's what Moses said. Let's throw it. Let's just, let's just do it right now. Stoner. Here, here's what's here's the problem with that. Well, during this time period, as Rome has expanded its borders and its kingdoms, they took over uh, all these na- uh, nations and territories. And when they did that, they allowed uh, the places that they conquered uh, to have their own religions, their own belief system, even their own court system. But here's the thing, is they never allowed a nation that they conquered to initiate capital punishment. That's why when when Jesus was captured, uh, they took him to Pontius Pilate to have him crucified because they, because in, according to the Romans, they didn't have the authority to do so. So Rome, after they would conquer, they would say, all right, listen, we have the perfect law. We have the power over life and death. And, and if you say somebody should die, then bring them to us and we'll be the deciding factor over that, okay? So if Jesus says, all right, hey, listen, stoner, let's do it, then the Pharisees probably had a Roman guard in their back pocket ready just to storm in at any time to arrest Jesus. And then he does not die as a martyr for the sins of the world, and he's, he's then just arrested because he broke Roman law. And then I'm sure that they'll probably crucify him that way. So lose your ministry or get arrested is the perfect catch-22. Now, just as you and I would do in this situation, when we know that somebody's just at fault, there's no way they're going to get out of it. We tend to puff our chest up. We're like, oh, yeah, we got you. You are done. There's a fork in you, buddy. You are done. So at, could you imagine that they're kind of like this right now? They're like, oh, it is on. And after they asked Jesus what do you say we do? To add suspense and tension, he does something just rather really odd. Verse 6. This they say to test him, that they might not have that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Could you imagine this? They're asking Jesus, okay, what do you think we should do? He just bends down and starts writing on the ground. I mean, I'm a Pharisee, and I'm trying to accuse, you know, trying to trick or trap this guy. I'm like, what is this dude doing? And he just bends down, starts writing in the sand. And we don't really know what he's writing. There are many theories out there, but we have no idea what he's writing at this point. Um, who knows? Um, but all we know is he's writing in the sand. And the longer that Jesus takes, I don't know how long this process goes. I don't know how long he writes in the sand, but as the longer that Jesus takes you imagine the bigger their heads get like oh listen he don't even know what to say he's just riding around in the ground doodling in the ground he don't know what to say but he guess what here's jesus response after they continue the question verse seven as they continued to ask him he stood up and he said to them i like this let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at him and once again he bent down and wrote on the ground now, if you were to play this scenario out, what he's talking about right here, if you were to play this scenario out and Jesus was to ask these guys, he's like, hey, listen, so you're saying there's no sin among you. You're saying all this is legit. All this is great. All this is just not fabricated. Nothing is, is going wrong here. If it's all good and you say this is, this is just right and you caught this woman, but you didn't bring the man, but yet there's no sin involved. And you watch two people be intimate with each other, and there's no sin involved in that at all. If you're saying that there's no sin involved and it's all right and it's it's just perfect and pure, and you're not guilty, well, guess what? 
you throw the first stone. You just stone her. But her blood be on your hands. And the Pharisees realized that, guess what? We really have nothing. We're just like her. We're sinners. And you, and you notice that that text ends with Jesus writing back down in the sand. He gets back down and writing it after he said that statement. Well, I, I kind of know what he wrote that time. He's like, bam, Jesus, son, get you some. <laughs> He's like, enough said, mic drop, I'm out. <laughs> but no, see, the, the Pharisees realized, listen, they have nothing. They have absolutely nothing. Because you know what? They're sinners. Just like her. In verse 9, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing there, standing before him. You know what's crazy? He bends back down. If you could play this out in your head, as he's bending down, he's riding back, he's riding down on the sand again, and these people are starting to go away one by one. And then all of a sudden, I could just imagine Jesus, he, they're, le- they're leaving, and he just gets up and he dusts off his hands. And he dusts off his hands in verse 10. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Could you imagine the thoughts that are going through this woman's head right now? She has sinned. She's guilty. She is embarrassed. And her sin has been exposed in front of everyone. And she is standing in front of the Son of God, the most the biggest religious person there is. She's guilty. She's probably ashamed. And she's like, oh, what is he going to say? What is he going to do? I could imagine being in her shoes that I would be so nervous. I would just be just tore up because I'm standing in front of the Son of God. And here's the beautiful picture that's been painted in front of us. What he says next. It says, and Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So when I was thinking about this, and and Bobby told me to, you know, I was going to be on John 8, I could have came at this at 16 different angles, it felt like. It felt like God wanted me to kind of hone in on three things. Um, And actually, I had changed this this past week um, on what I was going to go about, you know, what I was going to, my three topics, um, or three points. But the three points I want you guys to get today, and I want to mention them, are number one is Jesus is not condemning. Jesus isn't condemning. We have this mindset that Jesus likes to condemn us when we sin, don't we? That he's, he's a condemning God, that he's up there, like when we sin, he just is shooting lightning bolts down at us. And, but he's not, he's, not a con, he's not a condemning God because here's the reality of it is we're all sinners, right? And we all sin. I heard this, this little saying one time. It said, hunters hunt, golfers golf, and sinners sin. We're all sinners. We're all going to sin. And it amazes me as believers is we just get floored every time we see another person sin. Because here's the reality of it, is we're all sinners. And we're all going to sin. It's not like we're just, there's only one person that walks on the face of this earth that that never sinned. That was Jesus. And I don't see Jesus in here today. So that means we're all sinners. And 
I was out of the country one time, and we were driving. I don't know if you've ever been on the, out of the country, and I don't know if you've ever driven outside of the country, but they don't drive like we do. Um, you, you pull up to a red light, and in one lane there are eight cars and seven mopeds packed in right at a red light. They're just, it's crazy. So I asked the, the bus driver, I said, I bet you guys have a lot of accidents. He said, no, not really. I said, really? That's just, that's odd. He said, you know who the number one leading people or who who have the most accidents are? I said, no, he's American. I said, what? I said, you, you deal with this? He said, yeah. He said, because here's the thing. We expect people to get in our lanes, but watch out. He said, America, he said, you all expect people to stay in your own lane. He said, and when, and when you all are driving and someone gets in your lane, you honk the horn, go crazy, and you give them the old get out of my lane look. So you thought I was going to say something else. <laughs> sinners. See what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? Sinners. Okay? We're all sinners. We're all going to sin. And Jesus, see, here's the thing. Jesus doesn't expect sinners to, to stay in the lines. He knows we're going to mess up. Does Jesus like sin? Absolutely not. And, I, and don't get me wrong here. Jesus, I'm not telling you to go out and sin. Jesus hates sin. He hates it. He does not want us to sin. But the reality is, is we all are sinners. And he's not, he doesn't condemn us when we sin. John 3.17 says, it comes right after the most famous verse in the Bible. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Romans 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Here in today's society, we use the word no very loosely, don't we? I know my kids, when they come in, at Parker at least, when he comes in to the kitchen, he look, opens the pantry up and he's like, Oh, we have no food in here. And we clearly have everything. It's just not Cheetos and cookies. But we use the word loosely. I mean, my wife, you know, will be going somewhere and she opens up her closet and she's like, oh, I have no clothes. And I'm like, are we in the same room? Do we, are we seeing the same thing? But we use the word loosely, very loosely. We use the word no very, very loosely. And Jesus is not using the word no loosely right here. He says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And how can we say that? How can we say there's no condemnation? I like to read in, in, in different versions of the Bible and different paraphrased versions of the Bible to kind of help me understand what, you know, what the text, you know, what the text is trying to say. Sometimes I get hung up. And I was reading in a, a verse in Romans not too long ago, and it came across, it says, God has declared us not guilty. And I thought, oh, man, that's so cool. He's declared us not guilty. And I was like, thank you, Jesus, for declaring me not guilty. I started thinking about that. I, said, I had a hard time. I was like, but God, I am guilty. I am guilty. And it was like, you know what, Daniel? Are you saying I'm a liar? And I was like, no, but, but uh, you know, how do you say I'm not guilty when I am? He says, he said to me, he said, because I declared my son guilty. He said, Daniel, I took your sins and I placed it on him. And I said, he's guilty. And I condemned him and executed him for your sins. And that's how you're not guilty. And I thought, oh, man, thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you so much. Because here's the thing. Jesus doesn't condemn us. Verse six, Romans 6, 23, this is my, 
I just love this verse. I use this a lot with the teenagers when they're coming to know Christ. It says, for the wages of sin is death. If that verse stopped right there, I wouldn't be here. I love to play golf. I'd be out on like hole seven right now. Because guess what? I'm condemned to die. I'm a sinner. I was going to die. But there's a three-letter word that changes everything right there. It says, but. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God sent his son down because to take our place. We're sinners. We deserve to die. But God says, you know what? No. I, I'm going to make a way for you. So number one, Jesus is not condemning. Number two, I want you to look at Jesus is not compromising. He doesn't compromise. If we look back in that verse, he says, neither do I condemn you. The next statement says, go and sin no more. He wasn't condemning. He wasn't, he wasn't condemning and he wasn't compromising. So we have, a, we have a tendency as humans to go one way or the other. We, we, you, we try to compromise things and call it relevant. Say, you know, that's relevant. And we compromise. I want you to see two shocking scriptures that as I was going through and looking at this, this is kind of neat. Uh, first one is Matthew eleven nineteen. It says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And I want you to look at that right there. Friend of sinners, okay? In Hebrews seven twenty six, For it, it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unsustained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. You see, friend of sinners, not condemning separate from sin from sinners not compromising see sinners loved hanging out with jesus all the time really they, they you see it says jesus was a friend of sinners really sinners were a friend of jesus because here's the thing he wasn't condemning but he also wasn't compromising he didn't condemn them for it for his sins but he didn't compromise either so number one jesus was Jesus isn't condemning. Number two, Jesus isn't compromising. Number three, this is the greatest one. Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is compassionate. Matthew 9, 36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Jesus is a compassionate person. See, when this woman was brought in front of him and she was caught in adultery, you know the only feeling that Jesus had? The only feeling was compassion. That's what he felt, compassion. He wasn't angry at her. He wasn't mad at her. All he felt was just compassion. And as we look at this, and we see this woman that was, you know, she should have just died. I mean, she should have stoned because that's what the law said. But Jesus forgave her. Jesus had compassion on her. Because you know why? He loved her. He loved her so much. And we don't see we don't see this woman come into scriptures any more than this right here. But and Jesus told her, He said, "Hey, listen, go and sin no more." Now I could be quite honest with you. I, I don't know what happened, but I'll be fairly certain that this woman probably changed her lifestyle. I mean, she had an encounter with the Son of God that changed her life. I'm pretty sure that she she probably took that advice didn't sin anymore i mean i know i would if i came encounter with right there with god or right there with jesus and and, and talking to him he said hey listen go and sin no more i probably would take that advice 
And I'm sure that's what happened here. You see, I, I don't want you to get mixed up. And I don't want you to get this whole thing mixed up and say, well, Daniel, you're telling me to sin and, and God will forgive me. Is that right? Well, yes, he will forgive you, but that's not a card for you to go sin. It's not. Here's the reality of it. We're all sinners. But when we have a relationship with Jesus, we have a desire not to sin. When you come at when you come in relationship with Jesus, you have a desire that you don't want to sin. But as you and I know, we're all sinners. And as you and I know, the devil hates God's children. He hates them. He wants us to trip up and fall. And I'll be honest with you, since my since I became a Christian, I have slipped and fell. I have sinned. But here's the beauty of it. Jesus forgives me. He forgives me when I fall. He'll forgive you when you fall. He forgave this woman when she fell. He doesn't condemn. But what he does is when he when he comes and he forgives us, he doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to just give it to him and, and let him take care of it. Because he loves us and he loves us so dearly. So I want to I want to ask you a few questions. I want you to think about this as we close out this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, hey, listen, this Jesus guy, he's new to me. I came here because my friend asked me. But I'd like to know some more about him. kind of struck my interest. Hey, listen, we want to show you. And this morning, I want to ask you a question before we pray, before we take communion. I want you guys to think about this. What do you need to repent of today? there's something in your life that you need to repent of? Do you have a sin? Maybe you're not caught. Maybe you're not caught in the act. Maybe you're in the middle of it. It may be not as extreme as what this woman had. And maybe it's just something you have a, a problem with. I don't know, but it's sin. Or it's hindering your relationship with Jesus. You've let that sin creep in and you've let that sin just let you creep farther and farther away. And I, a guy gave me an illustration a long time ago. It's stuck with me for a long time. If you're walking with God and you're living your life, you're reading your Bible, it's so easy to be with Christ. If this finger represents me and this finger represents Christ, then we're walking together. It's so easy to be there. It's so easy to be connected to Him. But you have sin come in your life, and it separates you. It's hard for me to, it's hard for me to get that connection because I have something between me and God. It's hard for me to to be as close as I once was. But here's the thing, when we repent and we say, hey, listen, I'm sorry, God shows compassion. He removes that sin and we're back to where we once were. And I ask you this question, what do you need to repent of this morning? Is there something that, that's in your life that you say, hey, listen, I just, I just need to repent. I just need to give it to God. And what do you have in your life that's holding you back? What's holding you back from being a a Christ follower, a good disciple, a, a better husband, a better wife, better mother, father, student, whatever. What's holding you back? Is there something you have that's just hindering you? That's creating a, a barrier between you and Jesus? And I ask you, if there is something, if there is something in your life, just give it to God. I'm telling you. He is a compassionate God. I want you, my desire is for you to walk with him.
And I grew up next to an altar when I was younger. And I've seen lives being changed at the altar. And I just want to open this up front, front this morning. Say, listen, I need to repent of something. Yeah, you can do it at your seat, but there's just something about like getting up and be like, you know what, devil, you're not going to hold me down. I want to give it to God. And I want to I sin no more. Before they start playing, before we pray, I just want to just ask you that. What is it? And come, come and just pray. Just give it to God and sin no more. Before I pray, we're going to have communion this morning that represents the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. And before you come take communion, just kind of reflect on your life and look at it. Just ask for forgiveness before you come forward. Just give it to God and sin no more. Let's pray. God, thank you for just being a forgiving God. Thank you for being a loving God and a compassionate God. Thank you for not condemning us when we sin. And God, I pray for this congregation. That God, if there is sin in people's lives, that God, they just give it to you this morning. And their lives will change. God, I just pray for each and every person here. They just give it to you and sin no more.